So hello, welcome to another Pharmacy in Practice podcast. Um, really great guest on this morning. Um, bit of a career spotlight type uh, podcast coming up, hopefully. Um, and certainly not a, a common um, career path, but very interesting nonetheless. So we've got Lieutenant Colonel uh, Rob Liddington, MR Pharmess, on the podcast this morning. Um, would you like to introduce yourself, Rob? Good morning, Jonathan. Yeah, I know. It's, uh, so my name's Rob Liddington. So I'm uh, currently uh, a farm and a pharmacist in the Army Reserve. Used to be a regular Army pharmacist um, and work in my civilian job as uh, as an MHRA responsible person for for defence. Wow. Okay. Where did I start? Well, <laughs> um, <laughs> I was trying. I was looking back, having a read of. I was being nosy. Sorry. Um, I was reading some of your your articles you've done over the years, and um, you're a great advocate of working in, uh, as a pharmacist in the army, actually. But I noticed that with as with so many people in pharmacy that I come across, you work for Boots. <laughs> I did, yeah, yeah. Originally, I, I did my pre-reg with Boots, um, and then back in back in the mid '90s, uh, I studied in Portsmouth, and then uh, pre-reg in Yeovil um, with Boots, and then moved to. South, back home to South Wales and 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 locumed, or you know, did relief pharmacy for for boots for a year while I was in the process of applying for the army. Sure. So so I suppose let's let's take it back to there. What yeah. what uh, that that was a fairly, I mean that 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 initial bit of your career was exactly the same as mine, really. Um, but what was it a premeditated thing that you 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 were you were heading for the army, or or did something happen? Yeah, no, uh, pretty much. Changed your mind. Yeah, pretty much. I was even as a young child, I always wanted to join the army, and and it was going to be the infantry. I was going to just join the infantry, and that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to be a soldier, um, and then I so I thought, no, I better have a backup plan. Um, and I was interested in medicine and pharmacy, so I, I decided, no, that's the right thing to do. Go and get a career first, just in case the, the army didn't happen. And then uh, yeah, I, I I I qualified, and then started the process of applying so it was always in the back of my mind to do it um and i think there were opportunities that that came up that uh, just made me sort of pushed me into it and said right do it make the decision and uh, and go and do it it was interesting i was on a pre-reg conference in nottingham with boots and and they had um it was like there was a colleague of mine who was a pharmacist there at the time and and we were both talking about it in in the sort of late at night and uh, and he said just do it just do it and i said oh, that's it so I'm, i walked away from that night and just applied that was it yeah. Well, I, 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 I had a. It's funny how these conversations matter. I, I had a. I have a friend who will remain nameless. I must get him on the podcast actually. Um, but we had a rather late night. Oh, this was over ten years ago. No, ten years ago, eight or nine years ago. We were both recently qualified, and it was a similar kind of conversation. Um, sort of like four o'clock in the morning, and uh, yeah, there was some there was some alcohol taken and so on and so forth. Yeah. And he said, I, "I'm going to I'm going to chop pharmacy and go and be an airline pilot." And by gum, he went and did it. Did he? Oh, there we are. <laughs> literally, yeah. literally the yeah. next day. So, um, no, good for you. Um, how, I mean, where do you start? How, how do you get into the army? I mean, so, um, what, what, what sort of prerequisites are there? Do you, do you well, just phone at, them up? The time, the crack? Yeah, literally, at the time, there wasn't, there wasn't anything that was expected of you to do before you joined. Nowadays, they, you know, people like to sort of see a bit more experience, um, you know, join the, the Reserve Army or, or maybe the Officer Training Corps or, you know, university and things like that. But actually, when I joined, it was just a phone call into, uh, into the re- recruiting office. Um, started the conversation there, fill in the forms, started the uh, the applications. You have to go through what's known as um, Army Officer Selection Board, 
because you, you're commissioned as an officer uh, into the army as a pharmacist, so you uh, you have to go through the same selection process as, as all the other officers, which is a tough it's a couple of days uh, down in Westbury where you you put through some leadership train uh, sort of court, uh, assessment um, and, the, and your physical assessment as well, and then the the process just goes from there. So if you pass that, you you get accepted, and then you off you, know, if you go to Sandhurst. Very good. Wow. And uh, I mean, I'm 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 sort of almost making a living by asking really simple questions now. But yeah. is there a is there a physical element to it to to getting in and passing that initial bit? Yeah, there is. So you've got to be fairly fit and robust to to do it. So the initial assessments, um, there's a there's a standard fitness test, which are, they're just in the process of changing at the moment. But it used to, when I joined, you had to do a mile and a half in in ten minutes, and and so many press ups and sit ups in two minutes. So you have to be physically fit enough to to pass the tests. But it's um, it's more about uh, sort of being a bit more robust. So if you take a knock, you know, getting back on your feet and and getting back to it and uh, you know that's that's the key, um, but obviously with the minimum fitness standards, which are not that difficult to achieve. Um, uh, you know, if you're young and fit, when you are, when you when you join the army, it's um, it's fairly straightforward. So it's um, but it's yeah, it's just being able to take those knocks and getting back up and getting back fit again as, as quick as you can. Pretty good, and and so what you know within your your role as a pharmacist in in the army, how how is that developed? I mean, is it is it is that a dispensing role, for example, or or, or what have you been doing over the years? Yeah, okay, so I can give you a quick potted history. So when I yeah. joined, there was only only five military pharmacists. Uh, so I joined in 1998, um, and they had um, there was only five of us at the time. We're up to about 17 now, I think. Uh, I think that's the current figure, in the regular army anyway. Um, so it's not a dispensing role there's um the the way the art the military is set up we have a, an organization called defense primary Healthcare service and they run medical centers around the country and overseas and they're split into regions so medical centers are just like gp practices okay so um and they are um split into regions so we've got four regions in the uk and then an overseas region um and each region has a regional pharmacist and they oversee between 17 or 20 medical centers um, ensure that sort of your a bit like your CCG pharmacist would 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 go over and, and review prescribing and that sort of thing so that's what those regional pharmacists would do so no hands-on dispensing um, there's also uh, roles in um, in the NHS hospitals so we used to have military hospitals but we uh, it wasn't financially viable or or appropriate to keep these facilities open because there just weren't enough patients going through them. So we now have military wings in NHS hospitals and there's three posts working in the NHS and those are standard. So I worked in the QE in Birmingham um, for two years and they so that, that there is a dispensing role in that but you're basically a ward pharmacist uh, doing the same thing as a band six or a band seven um, would do um, in the NHS. And then there are other roles in Medical logistics, so ensuring the supply chain, um, and I spend a lot of time doing that. There's also a role in training, um, and I've pretty much done them all. Um, to, so I've done primary care, secondary care, training, medical logistics, and then I've finished off in uh, Surgeon General's headquarters as the, uh, as what, it's not called the chief pharmacist job, but that's, that's in fact what it is for defence. Sounds, sounds quite similar. So are the, are the, are the issues you get in the army from a pharmaceutical point of view, similar uh, to what you get in uh, Civvy Street, I guess. Yeah, pretty much. I think the you know 
from the, as I say, we don't do dispensing, but we oversee a lot of the dispensing that goes on in the medical centres. So, so the same, that's the same, you know, as you would expect to see in a community pharmacy or in a dispensing doctor's practice. Um, so the same issues there. Supply problems, yeah, we experience a lot of them, um, especially when you're overseas. That's that's a tricky one to to handle. Um, but we experience the same. What we don't experience is the sort of the, the, all the payment, you know, the, the payment mechanisms and all of that, because defence is pretty much run for itself. It's, um, you know, we're, we're not a, sort of abiding to the, the the strong budgetary restraints that a lot of other people have. So we we don't have an open checkbook by any means because it's public money, but it's but we do have we do get what we need, and that's that's really important. And we don't, as pharmacists, we have to be have to have it sort of conscious of the, the budgetary restraints in the back of our mind but it's not a constraint that's that's really key yeah no i i guess i mean the the, the army is one of these um sectors that that, that 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 really no one would begrudge well very few folk would begrudge a bit of extra budget because because the the positions you guys put yourselves in are, is just uh yeah uh, difficult, difficult to difficult to fathom for 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 civilians i think yeah, and I think the overseas piece is really key. So um, we spend a lot of money on our supply chain, for example, um, to making sure that that it's compliant with MHRA regulations. You know, in terms of temperature control and everything else. And that's a it's a high risk supply chain. It really is. You know, in terms of we we're dotted around all over the world, and we have to make sure that those medicines get to um, get to where they need to appropriately and safely. And and that's. Um, and that's a challenge and it's expensive as well but but you're right and so so we have a budget to to ensure we do that appropriately so i see um you know i noticed you, you you've been around you, you know one of the one of the big 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 advantages i guess of being in the army is uh um the the travel and so on isn't it probably but, yeah. but I, guess, I guess that could be a downside have have you um when you've been abroad have, have you ever been scared um scared is probably not the right word i think i i i've had operational tours in bosnia kosovo afghanistan and iraq um so i, I guess scared is not the right word because you, you you are prepared for it so you're trained well and, and you you know you're well drilled in in everything that you need to do you, you're trained the same as every other soldier that's um that's deployed so you, you're well prepared for these things I, I guess scared um isn't probably not the right word I, i'm not saying that i'm you know not scared of anything but I think sometimes you just you just accept this is the lot that you've taken and uh, and you're prepared for it. So I think um, wary of your surroundings might be more appropriate than scared. So you you, you know you're obviously you're away from your family for six months at the time, mm. um, and yet you're in a difficult and and dangerous places sometimes. Um, but yeah, you are prepared for it. So yes, I suppose there is an element of 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 worry and scared and being scared but i think it's more about um the army prepares you far better for for these things than so you don't need to worry so much about it so you're you were in the you were in the regular army up until 2015 yep. i read and then you went to the army reserve just i guess i'm yep. thinking of of these um maybe maybe folk that are listening pharmacists are listening that might yep. be interested to join um so what's the difference that there seems to be a bit of flexibility there is there yeah, so so the regular army is a full time career. That's that's you. You you've joined the army and you can join for a short amount of time. I think it's I think the minimum requirement now is four years. So you join for four years, um, and then you you can either stay and continue your career or you can leave and go off and and choose another another path. Um, but 
but the Army Reserve gives you a, a much more flexible option in terms of it's part time. So you, the minimum requirement is 27 days a year. Um, and for some units, it's only 19 days a year. So actually, you can have a full civilian career in community pharmacy, in hospital pharmacy, in even in industry we've recruited before. Um, and they, uh, you know, so they and then they work to a, a regional or a national unit where you, you turn up for a weekend's training every every month or two, or, and then you have a two-week camp in the summer. You're getting a lot of military experience. You're getting a lot of the skills and management and leadership training that the military offer, but still maintaining your, your civilian career. So there's benefits to both civilian employers and, and the military because you're bringing both elements into it. Um, and, and we've had lots of reservists that have deployed over the years as well. So uh, during the, the Afghanistan years, we were, we were deploying a a reservist pharmacist for three months sort of every every turn of the wheel so um, we were using a lot of them and there's about i think there's about 28 or 29 reserve pharmacists um out there um but there's always opportunities for more and it's a great thing to do there's opportunities for sport uh, you know and, and as well as the sort of the formal army training but you know people have excelled in sport we've got got an olympic standard swim um wrong sailor we've got uh you know a marathon runner that is uh the, the top of his game people who represented that uh, sort of a high level in rugby and football so it's you know opportunities are, are there for both regular and reservists one of the things that we hear or i hear as a civilian quite a lot and re read about in the the press is um you know reintegration of of people that have been in the army now i'm not sure how relevant this is to being a pharmacist in the army but you know would you how, how did you find it coming back into you know what that cliched term civvy street did, yeah, yeah. Did, did you find that difficult um I, I didn't find it that difficult um i think i think it's you you probably said it yourself there actually it's easier for, for professionally qualified officers like ourselves because because Lots of reasons. I think the first reason is we tend to qualify before we join the army. So we don't, we're not starting and, and joining a career in the army at 16 or 18 um, and then having a life in the army. So we've tend to have had a bit of civilian experience first, either, you know, just completing your degree and then and maybe working for a while before you join. Um, or maybe some people have, have worked for a while before they, they join after qualifying. So, um, so it tends to be a sort of an easy switch back into to what you did before and we spend a lot of our times working with our nhs colleagues both in in the hospitals i mentioned earlier um but also you know within the nhs so you're working with your, your your civilian colleagues on a regular basis and you, you're involved in uh, all these sort of local meetings you know you might go to to lots of other nhs groups and do other nhs training because we're entitled to that as a sort of a a memorandum of understanding with the NHS. We we share a lot of the the same training opportunities, so you you sort of blended in between the two anyway. So when you leave, it's um it's less of a challenge. I think what the challenge for me was um I I missed the the lifestyle, the the opportunities, the the camaraderie, and and I know that sounds a bit sort of cliched as well, but but actually that's um it's like one big family in the army and, and you spend a lot of time with people and you get to know them very well. Um, some people may think that's a bit like a goldfish bowl where you're all a bit sort of living in each other's pockets, but actually there's a lot of benefits to that. You, and you develop a huge amount of trust for each other. And um, so that's what I miss the most and, and, and the opportunities to go and do it. But 
there, there, were, there were things that were more important to me when I left because I, I wanted to spend more time with my family and my kids and, and things like that. So it's a, um, it's a balance between the two. It's, it's a real. It's actually a really interesting answer you've given there on a number of levels. I think there's, you know, I think I think society can be for civilians anyway can be quite isolating. You know, we are we are social creatures, aren't we? So yeah, yeah. Um, there's 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 absolutely no need to apologise for um for for quite enjoying being in other people's company and and actually getting past that sort of superficial relationship um stage with people. I think getting to understand, I guess. I mean, I'm assuming here, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but, you know, understanding more about how people, um, what it feels like for other people to depend on you and also yeah. um, how they behave in really difficult situations. I think I think with with modern life, we, you, you know, the way we live, the types of houses we live in, multiple generations don't live under the one roof and yeah. things, are, things are quite disparate. I, I think loneliness is quite a big problem in our society, actually, but... Uh, maybe that's a separate conversation. Yeah, maybe. I think, yeah, I think you're right. I think it's. Um, I mean, when you are under pressure, and we, you know, we're all under pressure in different ways and, and stressed. Um, uh, you know, and I know community pharmacy and, and and working in the NHS is no different in that respect. Um, um, it's slightly different when you're overseas because you're alone, and I think that's. And generally, as a pharmacist, you're you're the only, you're you are the only pharmacist out there. Um, and your you sort of support network is not well, your professional support network is not necessarily at, at your fingertips. Um, so there is an element of professional loneliness sometimes. Um, but that's also there's benefits to that because it makes you stronger, makes you more confident, makes you more, uh, sort of more more able to um, to apply your skills and knowledge to, to different environments. So, you know, there's always benefits and, and, and disbenefits to, to, to these situations. Pros and cons, yeah. Yeah, yeah I think yeah. <clears throat> I think personally, I would I would probably struggle with being away from home. I mean, I suppose I'm 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 the complete opposite. Here. I I now work from home, so spend a lot of time with the family. Probably too yeah. much for their liking, to be honest. But no, uh, I'm sure not. Never, oh, well, that's never that's the benefit now because I work from home a couple of days a week as well. Um, and and I've just uh, it, it, the huge benefits for that. Um, you know, and and I worked for the CQC for two years. Uh, before I before I rejoined my my current job and um, and that was a lot of homeworking and and there were that sold it to me the benefits were just phenomenal after spending so much time away it was really good to be back um, and catch up with them properly. It is lovely. I do remember yeah. the first the first day I was self employed. I completely panicked. It, I was wondering <laughs> I was wondering to myself what the hell have you done, Jonathan? Yeah. But uh, but but my first action was to go to Tesco. So that was. That was my first morning oh, activity. Good. I had to do something. I was I was flapping, so I thought, right, I need to do something constructive. So I went to Tesco. <laughs> um, well, one one thing I wanted to ask you was, um, and I haven't I haven't sort of teed you up with these questions at all, but can you think of an occasion when you were really in the proverbial? You know, when the chips were down in your role in the army, and you know, talk, if you can think of a situation, talk us through. What happened, and and um, maybe compare and contrast. You know what might have happened in the army and what might have happened in uh, in, yeah. in civilian life. Can you think yeah. of something? Yeah, I suppose I can. I suppose it's a tricky, sort of a clinical situation. I suppose is that what you're driving at? Something a yeah, bit more. It just anything, anything. Just doesn't have to be clinical. So, yeah. So interestingly, um, what you you get situations where you have to make tough decisions or you have to think on your feet, um, and I guess. Um, we had a, a series of, of methanol poisonings, um, and 
we had some sort of I, I, without getting too clinical because um, I'm I, you know I, I've left my clinical days behind me now, now that I'm in medical logistics but um, I you know methanol poisoning the ethanol is the is the antidote and um, and we struggled to find ethanol and I don't I, I guess it was quite an interesting situation because we had to sort of sort of get around and find as much alcohol as possible. And I use this story quite a lot because it's it's a good one to describe how you you just have to think outside the box sometimes. And and when you're abroad on on operations, it's an alcohol free zone, so there's no you know, can't nip down the shop and buy a bottle of vodka or or things like that. But actually, you um, but but I know what people are like, and I know that people will try and take alcohol with them, um, you know, and break the rules and things like that. So that's what we did. We, we basically had an amnesty for alcohol, um, and uh, you know, as you as you can imagine, the military is very strict on on discipline, and um, and and the certain people like the regimental sergeant major who's in charge of discipline for the soldiers would not. Um, I had to ask him not to discipline anyone uh, for having alcohol because I needed this alcohol to treat patients. Um, and then we managed to get quite a lot, and, and it was great. I had a couple of single malts um, <laughs> and, a, and, a, and a couple of bottles of vodka, and we kept them in the CD cupboard, and uh, it was good. And we treated the patients with the alcohol. Um, we've improved it now. We've got proper treatments in place. Um, but but at the time, that was a, and it was just a challenge because how do I how do we treat these patients properly? And we, we can keep them alive, and we can you know monitor their situation and keep their fluids going and all that sort of thing. But actually, we, we just need to treat them properly. Um, so and it was good because that that changed the way we did business in the future as well because we we identified a gap that we you know this is a possibility this will happen again so we need better treatments so I guess I was you know that that was one of the times when I've been particularly under pressure and and trying to find a solution to to a problem and uh, you know a patient's lying on the table and and there's not a lot you can do about it um, and it's uh, it's really frustrating but when you get to the end and you've done it and you've sorted it and and the patients are well. That's great, isn't it? You know, that's that's what it's all about. I, I suppose it's not a it's not a perfect example to saying that in terms of you know the, your back's against the wall, but it, in terms of clinically, it was. Um, well, I think I think I think for the guy lying on the or the, yeah, or, yeah, the or the girl lying on the on the table, they, they'd probably be quite happy that you you thought on your feet, you know. And um, I was just thinking that that's my kind of that's my kind of controlled drugs cabinet, you know. Yeah, think, yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think some, <laughs> some, some of the days I had in community pharmacy, I, I maybe, maybe might just uh, to be found out the back in the CD cabinet. Um, but, uh, <laughs> that, uh, that's, a, that's an interesting story. Well done. Yeah, cool. Um, and where, where was the most... Uh, so one, well, I, I'm being a bit self-indulgent now. Like one of the things yeah. I, I haven't done enough of in my life is, is traveling, to be honest, Rob. So where, 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 was, where was the nicest... Uh, uh, or your favourite place to be uh, deployed? Oh, favourite favourite place to be deployed. I'm not sure there is one. Um, uh, but uh, I, yeah, I suppose the early days in Bosnia, um, and and I was based in, in mainly in Croatia, which is now the, one of the you know it's one of the top holiday resorts in in Europe. Um, people mm. go to Croatia all the time, and and um, we were based um, outside Split, um, and then serving the, the the guys who were doing the, sort of the work in Bosnia. That, that, in terms of the nicest place I've been deployed, that's probably there. Um, because, and it was the most interesting. It was my first tour as well back in 1998. So it was um, it was an interesting first deployment in a nice place, really. Um, although Bosnia was quite quite harsh and, and austere at times. Um, the most interesting one was the first Afghanistan deployment, without a doubt, um, because that was the, we, we deployed the hospital, um, built the hospital up, um, and 
interestingly, we, we talk about how things change. So the farm that the hospital was built without a pharmacy department. Um, so I deployed out and um, working out of the ward, in effect, with a you know a mobile pharmacy um, on my back, uh, walking around the hospitals because the hospitals are based on an NHS structure. So they have wards, they have operating theatres, they have a critical care unit, they have an emergency department and a primary care centre. So it's, you know, it's like a, like a mini hospital. Um, and to set that up and then for the future generations, knowing that actually pharmacy is really important and they've gone, yeah, do you know what? We, miss, we, we messed up in the first Afghanistan deployment. We, we'll never do that again. And everything now, pharmacy is one of the, one of the first things to, to think about. So that's quite quite good. So my my sort of most enjoyable deployment was that one, um, because we we changed quite a lot of mindsets on on the way that people look at pharmacy. That's cool. So you're doing yeah you're doing your bit in 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 your own sector. Yeah. Um, so yeah, bring it bring in bring in your experience back to back to the UK, and, and yep. I know you're working you're working sort of part time in the UK now and all the rest of it, but. Community pharmacy, particularly, um, is under pressure, as are other sectors as well. Yep. One thing I wanted to ask you, like from from your experience in the military, where where there, you know, there's a culture of of, of working together and getting stuff done. What well, what do you think community pharmacy could learn from the military, or from your experience in the military? Um, I I think that. Um, it's interesting when you look back at my, what I've done and, and how the army looks after its pharmacists. We we go through um, the same initial training, so we're all offered clinical diplomas in whatever, and and these are the pathways very similar. But the big difference is then they really work hard on um, sort of the, the the leadership element, and it's amazing when when you work with a pile sort of a, a pile of people who are who are educated in the same way, um, understand the role of, um, of management and leadership as, as two very distinctive things. Because I think my experience of, of management in the, in the NHS or leadership in the, in the NHS is that um, people confuse the two and actually you know, anybody can be a leader. Uh, and, and we don't develop people enough in, in terms of leadership. And so I guess for community pharmacy, um, you know, the managers are not the leaders necessarily and it's identifying some of those people who can really make a difference to to the uh to the profession um and and getting them and develop and develop them and so that they can develop others around them um and I, so i guess leadership is, is a big thing that the army is it develops in us that um and not everybody are natural leaders but the army what the army does encourages those skills that you do have in in the right way so people become um, better leaders, even though it doesn't come naturally to them. Does that make sense? Yeah, it's re it's really interesting that you make the distinction. I totally agree. But but apart from that, I think uh, yeah, it's we're we're fortunate in the military because we're it's a small community, so we we spend a lot of time talking to each other. You know, as I say, there's only, there's only about seventeen or eighteen regular pharmacists. Um, and about 28, 29 reserve pharmacists, and we, so we are a small community, and that makes it easiest for us to sort of communicate, share best practice, and and talk to each other. I guess community pharmacy is a wheel, uh, unwieldy beast, isn't it? Where it's it's very disparate, and and um, and people like the RPS and and GPHC try work hard to 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 develop the profession, but it's um it's a challenge. 
It is, and I, and I suppose uh, taking the community pharmacy example, it's 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 tricky because because community pharmacists are um, or pharmacies, I should say, are they're really in competition as well. So it's yeah. I suppose it's it's yeah. much harder to get. I think that's a big big just a big fundamental problem, isn't it? It's yeah. much harder to. Um, uh, deploy leadership or management on that system when yep. when when some are are um, naturally for very right and proper reasons maybe looking to to move in different directions. There's not such a, I guess it must it's more difficult to get that critical mass of forward yes. momentum that I suppose Definitely. I assume yep. you get in the in the military. Yeah, yeah, That's we're all after the same same aim, you know. And 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 the other thing I would say, and 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 this is not meant to be disparaging to. To community pharmacy but my experience in talking to colleagues the, the the patient focus is going um it's much more business focused whereas you know everything we do in the military is all about the patient and you know and i think even in the nhs you see that it's very business focused and you know the patient should be at the forefront of everything we do and, and sometimes we forget that absolutely and and just to finish because i know um you're um you're not overtly recruiting um through this podcast but <laughs> no but no you 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 are in a um you were mentioning a, 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 you're in a, a bit of a recruitment drive at the moment so yeah uh, I, I guess I, I, both well, for the regular and the reserve so if people people want are interested they they should get in touch and um and definitely come and and have a chat I'm I'm willing to go and talk to people so so my my other colleagues were willing to, to meet up with people and talk to them, or I can just have a phone call or, or an email. It doesn't matter. But but really, if people are, if this generates a little bit of interest in, in an alternative career pathway, then um, we are more than delighted to talk to them. Excellent. And uh, I'm I'm not uh, I'm not suggesting you're old, Rob, at all. But uh, th this is a question I ask of. Um, it's becoming a staple question in my podcast, to be honest, okay. um, of, of pharmacists that are maybe a wee bit more experienced. Um, and it's just a final question. What, what what advice would you give to newly qualified pharmacists coming through? Um, don't accept um, the, the, the standard pathway. Um, I didn't. And, and I know a lot of others haven't. So a lot of people go off and work for for you know, non-government organisations, NGOs, you know, abroad, and and go and work in global health and and things like this. Don't don't accept the standard pathway for a pharmacist that or the traditional way that pharmacists. Um, and and I know that universities still go its hospital, community, or industry. Um, and and I would say just spread your wings when certainly in your early years get out there get as much experience as possible doing alternative things and if you want to go back to the traditional career pathway then great but and we do need them of course we do but but actually get out there test yourself challenge yourself in in, in different environments because you never know what actually makes you happy until you've tried it great advice great advice especially with um i think i think there's you know, you know that we always say it's a cliche, isn't it? We always say, "Oh, pharmacy's changing," but but I really do think there are some tectonic shifts at the moment. Um, yep. Shifts of pharmacist population into GP practice and and Which various, is great. Yeah. yeah, it is. But it, but it, it, shifting sands and 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 I like that um, that philosophy of of not sort of pigeonholing yourself to one one uh, career path. I think that's a great way to end. Um, been a pleasure speaking to you, Rob, and. Um, you're uh, you're definitely definitely be great to to catch up in person at someday sometime sure. in the future.
Yeah, no, that would be great, Jonathan. Yeah, thank you very much for your time. It's a pleasure. Thank you for your time. All the best. Cheers now. Thank you. Bye-bye, Dwight. Bye-bye.